0: Show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is February the 17th, 2016, and this is episode 1733 of the Survival Podcast. Given it's Wednesday, it is typically a day that I have a special guest on for an interview. Today is no different than typical. I have a returning guest, Trevor Grice, who is a licensed clinical psychologist uh, returning to the Survival Podcast. And we're going to talk about something today that very much has to do with survival, very much, even though we're talking to a psychologist. We're going to talk about bullying. Um, to me, this is a very sincere, serious subject. I, for a long time, have wondered, is there something I could do? Is there something TSP as a community could do to help deal with what I consider to be a bullying epidemic in America? And I don't really have any good ideas. I do know this. I do know when people say, just teach kids to stand up to a bully. Um, well, that's kind of stupid. It, it really is. If you, the way that it's usually said, Trevor actually has some ideas on that today that might be useful. Um, but in general, the way that's put out, it's kind of stupid. It really is. You want me to tell you why it's stupid? Bullies don't pick on people unless they know they're picking on somebody weaker than them. Bullies either use the strength of their own size over another individual, or they use the strength in numbers as groups, which is far worse than the typical one-on-one bullying that, that you know many people that say that shit uh, are accustomed to from their years in school many, many years ago. Bullying is is, a, is an incredibly tragic thing, guys. We have very strong reason to believe that one of the most nefarious school shootings of all time, the Columbine shooting, had a lot to do with those guys being heavily bullied and picked on and kind of snapping, and I'm sure being on medication didn't help. That is one of the common things with all school shootings, is that everybody that's done one has been on some kind of prescribed dope. But in the end, I mean, that was what did it. I I have a very good friend who lost his son in his his early, or I'm sorry, l- late teens. I think he was 19 when he hung himself. It's very personal to me because um, I knew him when he was five years old. And I've even had one of his friends from school randomly show up at our farm and buy eggs from us. And only at that point did we figure out that, hey, we, we both knew this person in common. We have strong reason to believe that part of why he felt he wouldn't go anywhere was years of being picked on in school. Losing your children, other people losing their children, it's a survival topic. And the solutions aren't easy, but they may in fact be simple. I've talked about the difference between those two things before. we we'll, talk about that more in just a bit. Before we get into that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you and make sure the show's here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day, number one today, BulkAmmo.com. When I need ammo and I want it in bulk, I go to BulkAmmo.com. Why? Because the name says what you're going to get. Ammo in bulk at great prices with lightning fast shipping. How fast is their shipping? It's almost like this. I've placed my order. I go on about my day and I hear... Gee, who's that? The postman with my ammo. How did that happen? It's not quite that fast, but it feels that fast. I think for most of us to think, you know what I should do? I should run out to the you know, sporting goods store or whatever and and bulk up on ammo this week. By the time you got around to doing it, it could be sitting on your doorstep. That's how quick their shipping is. They have all of the common calibers, great pricing, excellent service, and they're a long-term sponsor. been with us for, I think, four years now. So when you need ammo and you need it in bulk, Get on over to Bulk Ammo. Remember, ammo is one of the three components to the, the, the triangle of gun operator effectiveness. You've got to have the weapon. You go to a gunfight without a gun, you've got a problem. You, the operator, needs training. But even with a good operator and a good firearm, without the ammo, man, that's the terminal tackle, as we say in fishing. You've got to have the ammo to put food on the table to protect life and property and to train effectively. Check out BulkAmmo.com today. And remember, they do do a discount for members of the support brigade. Just take the benefits section of your MSB for more information on that. Next up today, sponsor of the day number two, Sawtooth Tactical. You'll find them over at SawTac.com. You'll get all the stuff you need to live that tactical lifestyle if you get on over to SawTac. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and nestled in the wilderness of the Sawtooth Mountains. That's why they call them SawTac. And when I say everything, I mean everything from the awesome manly titanium spork, Maxpedition bags, Magpul magazines, SOE tactical gear, and everything else you can think of. If it's tactical, they have it at Sawtooth Tactical. Remember the website again, www.sawtac.com and they also do do a discount for members of the Support Brigade. So if you're a member and you're going to get some tactical material from SawTac, get into your MSB account, click on Benefits and look up SawTac and get that discount. Again, a veteran owned, veteran operated company nestled in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho. SawTac.com Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode I have... Rum and the Right to Tax the Colonies, and I have the St. John's Insurrection. I'm going to read Rum and the Right to Tax the Colonies. This is from the year 1733, of course, because the episode 1733. Alex Shrugged has this for us today. A revolution begins with small things. A British tax on French rum, sugar, and molasses is not intended as a big money maker for the government. The point is that the French rum is 60% cheaper than the British rum, and the British plantations of the West Indies are screaming for help. help. Thus, a nine-pence tax, almost $8 per gallon, is imposed on French rum, and a smaller tax is imposed on French molasses and sugar. This makes everything made with sugar more expensive and enc- encourages a strange philanthropy among the American colonists. They send empty ships to the French West Indies, flying the white flag to beg the French to release British prisoners, from terrible dungeons rumored to be located there. Oddly enough, the ships return loaded with cheap French rum, sugar, and molasses, but very few redeemed prisoners. The Molasses Act will fail in its goal to save British plantations of the West Indies, but the British Parliament will have taxed the American colonists without representation, and the American colonists will have circumvented British authority. It's a small thing, but but from molasses the American Revolution will take root. My take by Alex Shrug. There was no protest of taxation without representation. It was the golden age of piracy. The colonists participated in so many illegal deals that it all seemed normal. Also, the American colonies were a dumpy ground for British criminals and ne'er-do-wells. While there were many honest people living in the American colonies, a strong underground economy exists. The government forget that when taxes is raised too high, it becomes profitable for citizens to take the risk of circumventing the tax. Then the government spends more money enforcing the tax. The tax must be raised again to cover the additional expenses. This makes it even more profitable for a certain level of criminal. While the activity is illegal, many people may not see it as immoral. For example, buying cigarettes in a low-tax state and selling them in a high-tax state for profit is illegal. But the smoker, the cigarette, is a cigarette. The unintended consequences of a higher tax is that normal law-abiding citizens will become accustomed to breaking the law or supporting those who do, this makes it easier to break further laws and defy authority. It's a gateway law-breaking thing, like, you know, drugs, right? Gateway drugs, great gateway to uh, breaking the law is breaking an, a, a tax law that is, well, frankly, immoral. But here's what I want to point out. Do you guys understand, those of you that still support the concept of, what well, we need the state so that we don't have monopolies, that... This law is a perfect example of private industry using government to control the market so that it could have a monopoly. See, I can't figure out how to compete with this other group of people. In this case, it's English versus French, but it could be, oh, I don't know, large automakers versus small or whatever. Big ag versus local ag. I mean, you can come up with anything. So what we'll do is we'll get the government to impose some sort of regulation that hinders my competition that I can easily deal with, that advantages me, so that I can take over the market. If you look at almost every monopoly, it was enabled by government through taxation, one way or another, even if it wasn't a direct tax on a competitor. For instance, one of the biggest monopolies that we hear about that people talk about how awful it was before the government broke up monopolies, was the Vanderbilt monopoly. If you've ever been to the Vanderbilt estate in North Carolina, it's, it's unimaginable the wealth that that family had to have, not to build the estate and the house, but to manage it, to run it. I mean, the size of the staff, just to maintain that house was insane. And the Vanderbilt monopoly was in, in league with the Hill and Gould monopolies of the railroads. They controlled the rails. They were actually competitors to each other, but in the end, they ended up tightly in control of the rail when rail was the primary means of transportation of anything across land it was before the advent of the automobile and roads and things like that. Now, here's the funny thing. These rich guys didn't dig deep into their pockets and spend their own money to build the railroad and then say, hey, that was my money that built all these rails, therefore I'm entitled to charge whatever I want to whomever I want. The way that you would be led to believe, no, mostly the government paid these people to build the railroads that then they controlled. And it just continues into the modern day. Every time you see something labeled something like the Food Safety and Modernization Act, all it does is try to quash small producers by giving them the, the onus of, of, of work and effort and overhead that large corporations easily absorb and are probably doing anyway when the small, the small producer doesn't need it. And you can just go through thing after thing after thing. You see regulation and tax coming into an industry. You will almost always notice that it's supported by the biggest players in the industry that it's supposed to regulate. And it happens all the way down state level, local level in Texas, we had a big stink trying to make it easier for small beekeepers to sell their honey. And the, it was like the Texas Honey Bee Association or Texas Honey Producers Association or something that backed the legislation. And you know who it was made up of? All giant, massive, factory-level, abusive beekeepers that sell thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons because they don't want to have to compete with somebody with 50 hives in backyards. And it's, it's, it's a constant thing that the supposed protection from monopoly by the state is actually the number one thing that empowers mono- monopolies and crushes competition. The more things change, the more stay the same. The more they stay the same might take by Jack Spear. Next up, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you can help support the show at 18.3 cents per episode. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members there to learn more about you can ha- how you can become a member of the Support Brigade. Um, next up today... I kind of spaced out yesterday. I think we have like 8 or 10 people registered already for this. And I'm going to take like up to 20. I'll probably cut off registration for it tomorrow evening, probably Friday morning, I guess, just because at some point I need a head count so I know how much food to have for everybody. Uh, and I can, you know, plan for that. But we are running a Work with Jack weekend this Saturday. This is, I mean, I've had people drive in for these, you know, basically one-day events that we don't have people spend the night for from out of town. And if you want to do that, I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying that it's really kind of geared toward the local person that could just, you know, kind of drive over and hang out for a day. But what we're calling it is Operation Aviary. Uh, we are going to put the hardware cloth on my aviary. Uh, we have it all here sitting out by the front gate, and we haul it back there and get it done. We're going to uh, to do some trenching in of some uh, water to just supply water to it. We're going to dig around the whole aviary, lay the hardware cloth into the ground, bury it back over, and attach it to the setup. The rest of the aviary is done, man. I mean, all i got to do is, beyond this is the doors and the shelving inside it. So hopefully we'll get some of the doors framed out too. It's kind of cool. I think you you might want to be part of it. You get to hang out with some really cool people. You get to hang out with me as well. So this is a small group of like 20 people or less. It's really cool for q and A. I I can actually talk to people and not be stressed out running all over the place. We're going to serve dinner lunch. I guess you'd call it lunch dinner. There's a thing called brunch. I don't know if there's a uh, a, a type of meal that is lunch and dinner like litter or something. Because We're going to serve linner at about 3.30 in the afternoon. So we're not going to start work till about 11.00. Everybody's going to show up at 11. We'll do a safety briefing. Everybody introduce themselves. About 11.30, we'll get to work. It's going to be a beautiful day. No rain for a change, although storm clouds are probably on the way because I said I'm having an event. Uh, it's going to be almost 80 degrees. Beautiful out. So it would be a really great time to get out. If you want to know more, there's a post on the SurvivalPodcast.com. This is a good reason to be on my email list. You guys know you can subscribe to that, by go to the survivalpodcast.com and fill the form out there. All right, next up, before I bring our guest on to talk about bullying, I actually want to share something with you guys that I posted today on the, uh, on the Facebook uh, Regenerative Agriculture Group uh, page. Um, it's a business idea, and it is ag-related, but I think, as, as of many things, when I give you a business idea, the, the concept is really not – okay, let's look at the the way that this could be a business and let's build it exactly the way Jack says. It's understanding, seeing an opportunity where other people don't and figuring out at a systems level how you can fit something together and make it work. And for those of you that do have an interest in agriculture, permaculture, and things like that, it's an example of the type of thing that's posted all the time on this group and maybe why you should consider joining. And again, it's the Facebook Regenerative Agriculture Group. If you go to the survivalpodcast.com you'll see a logo for it about halfway down in the center column. You click on that, you can go right over there and join. But I'm just going to read it to you as I posted it today. Here's an interesting idea for a side income. Not full-time, but pretty easy money. I know this from when I got rid of my chickens. Raise pullets to 16 weeks and sell them as about ready to lay. We got $20 a bird for ours that were already laying, so say 16 bucks here. You should be able to feed that bird for 16 weeks on about $8. That is the only real expense. Now watch me make this better. Pick two to three really cool breeds. Run them in chicken tractors with small coops. You now need only, say, four to five hens and one rooster per group. Now build simple tractors like the ones we use for broilers for your pullets. Only brood them indoors for one week. Trust me, that's all you need And time your hatching to avoid serious extremes of weather. I have brooded starting on day two with a 4x8 tractor and a heat lamp and a tarp over with way less losses than a traditional brooder. Now, tractor your young birds just like broilers. At 12 weeks, start selling them. Uh, Craigslist had all 80 of our birds gone in a few weeks. Sell for a lower price at 12 weeks and raise your price every every two weeks from there as they get older and closer to full-on laying. For five hens and a rooster, you should have a ground space of 24 square feet for the tractor area. This is for your breeders, okay? Well, pretty simple. That's a six-by-four-foot footprint. Build your three tractors for your breeding groups at this size and make them pretty with a coop above for nighttime. Put simple wheels on the the tractor to make it moving easier in the p.m. after everyone's in bed or in the a.m. before everyone wakes up and comes out. For your grow-out tractors, use typical cheap, easy-to-build 8x8s with cattle panels. You don't need a coop, but add one if you really want to. Production of pullets. My incubator holds 32 chicken eggs, and my hatch rates are through the roof on chickens near 100%. But call it 30 eggs to a hatch. You can put eggs on a shelf for 10 days to build up your count so they all go in at the same time and hatch at the same time. Five Girls at Peak Lane gives you at least 30 eggs in 10 days. Fill it up, plug it in, set it, and check nothing but humidity for 21 days. By then, if demand is high, you can have another batch ready to go or get two machines and run 60 at a shot. Put a 15-gallon concrete mixing tray in your grow-out tractors. By three weeks of age, they will be going in there and making compost for you. Have 9 to 12 weeks to finish a batch for you. Move your birds daily and start selling as soon as you can command a premium due to size and age of your birds. Now you're pretty breeder tractors. Make a cut sheet, and the cut sheet for you guys that don't know, that's a sheet that has every part for a build on it, exactly what the dimensions are, where to so you got everything you need. You know how much to buy, how much you get out of it. You can very quickly look at the sheet and cut all your materials. I'm going to go back to it, okay? So uh, make a cut sheet and an inventory list when you build them. Make them so they bolt together with wing nuts and washers. Get a table saw, nail gun, etc., everything to make them fast. Set up jigs so you can cut all parts fast, stack, drill, attach wire, etc. Make them so you can disassemble and reassemble them with no tools. This way it lays flat in a pickup truck. Price your labor and markup materials fairly. Now sell the coop and the tractor setup with the birds. There's a lot going on here. One, at a price of 18 bucks for pullets, they compare really fairly to broilers because you don't have to process them. And guys, most of the time I pay about 20 to $24 a bird when I buy pastured birds. So there's some cost in, you know, Processing, transporting, packaging that you don't absorb there and you don't have to do the work either. Okay? Two, you're also producing premium compost. If you finished it with worms, it's amazing. You can use this yourself or you can sell it or you can do a bit of both. Uh, three, since you are tractoring chickens, you are really helping your land improve. They could be run through orchards, gardens, just on pasture, you name it. Four, since you are self-hatching, you have nothing in the birds really other than a few cents of electricity. If you're really slick, you may figure out how to get your birds brooded by bantam hens. Five, your eggnings personally are met in a big way. At even 70% efficiency, your egg production with three groups is 315 eggs a month. Sell the surplus. This is key here. This is very key to this operation. Since it's not a huge surplus, you find premium customers everybody talks about premium product premium product requires dun 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 premium customers okay premium customers are willing to pay say eight dollars a dozen finding a lot of such customers is hard finding a few is pretty easy assuming you personally use five dozen a month you will only see sell, sell 21 dozen a month at that count you absolutely want loyal regular customers Five people to buy four dozen a month, and done. 20 times 8 is $160. Likely covers chicken feed for everyone. I know you can't get 75 customers paying $8 a dozen for chicken eggs, but you can find five, trust me. Six, now we have feed covered for growing out of the pullets and the cockerels that come with the young birds. And since we are not hatching year-round, we really can feed them off of this money. We're going to raise them raise them, say, four to six months out of the year in most mild climates. We are not going to raise them to have them up for sale when the feed stores uh, have them. We We are going to raise them to to sell when the feed stores do not have chicks. So surplus males, you sell them for 8 bucks to people who want a rooster, you use them to refresh genetics, and you cull the rest. Personally, I would skin them. And consider them all soup birds. You now have top-quality soup all year long with a bit of work and the canner. Uh, They'd make good sausage, too. They are not worth plucking and doing as roasters. They just are not. But anything under 8 bucks and they are worth more in the pot. Seven, now, where you sell, now when you sell, say, six birds for about a hundred bucks, you can sell several hundred dollar tractor with them. You sell the tractor with every damn thing a person needs. Chicken nipple, water solution, feeder, etc. Take it home, bolt it together, and insert chickens. There are more ways to monetize this, but this is thinking differently about pastured birds. The limitation is you can if you can successfully raise five hundred broilers for meat a year, you can likely sell all of them too. Such a, such a business like this one has a cap on how many you can sell a year. This is also an ideal business for the urban rural fringe, not way out in the middle of nowhere. You need to be in a chicken friendly area and some other things. But it works and over time you could take orders and deposits in advance. It is ideal for small one to four acre holdings as well that would not support thousands of broilers. You can ramp up production or down as needed. You can focus all your work on the time of year that makes the most sense. Lastly, not only should you sell your birds when Tractor Supply doesn't have them, you should sell birds people can't get there in other feed stores. Really pretty but productive birds. You could package it like this. Two Wells Summers, two Wide Nets, two Dominiques, and one fully equipped chicken Tractor. So you have $250 in parts and labor in the Tractors. I have no idea right now what that number will be. You're going to have to figure it out for yourself, right? Charge say 450 for the Tractor, so 100 for the birds. Price is 550 Let customers do a layaway program for the this. you raise your birds for a full 16 weeks they will be one to two months from laying then customer orders puts down $150 you sell you set hatch dates uh, start the build from there you set a payment schedule with a balance due on pick date just one way to do it also educate your customers that at one and a half to two and a half years birds should be culled and restocked This builds long-term buyers. Over the years, you will end up with them bringing you their coals. Most personally, won't want a coal. You will be eating free chicken enchiladas for the rest of your life. Now you have the most important thing a business can have, loyal customers. So develop other things to sell to them. And I want to finish with that before we bring Trevor on. People don't understand where the value in a business is. It's in the customer base. When you see one company buy another company, they don't buy that company because that company makes widgets or uh, it provides great service or whatever. They're buying a customer base. That's what they're buying is a customer base. Or they're buying something that they can sell to their customer base. But it's all about the customer. Without the customer, a business is nothing. As someone starting a business... That's what it's all about is building a customer base because, as I said in the business show we did this week, the hardest sale you'll ever make to a customer is the first one. If you do a good job when you do that first sale and you deliver what you promised, the easiest sale you'll ever make them is the second one. And from that point, you might have them trained as a buyer and you'll never actually sell to them ever again. They just keep showing up and buying things. Think about how many things you do that with every day. Places that you just go and regularly make purchases. No one sells it to you. When you need it, you go get it. And you're loyal to a brand or a store or a provider for a certain reason. Believe it or not, we can all do that too. It's a little tip there on developing independence, liberty, and self-sufficiency in your life. And if you don't like chickens, figure out something to build a similar business model on. It is one of the best steps you could ever take toward building your own self-sufficiency, self-reliance and independence. Now, with that out of the way, I want to talk about this very serious topic of bullying in the modern day, the role that our school system plays in this, and what we can do about it. And with that, I want to say, hey, Trevor, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me back.
0: Hey, I'm glad to have you on today. This is a topic i wanted to discuss for a long time, honestly, because it's something that I'm very concerned about. And we had a great discussion about managing chaos the last time you were on. But there's a lot of people that maybe have never heard that show. So the first question I have for you is can you tell people who you are and what you're doing and and how you got to be that person? Like kind of start back a little bit before, you know, I went to college and Like, you know, what did you think you were going to grow up to be as a kid and how would you end up as a a licensed psychologist?
1: Yeah, you know, really what it came down to is is I was – in the normal school system like everybody else and was generally a good student and knew that um, and was told that I had to go to college. And so that's what I did. And I never really knew what I wanted to do when I went there. And I think my first major I picked was computer science because that's what everybody was doing in 1997. And that's what they were told was where there's going to be jobs and money. And while I like computers, that doesn't really correlate to ones and zeros and everything that goes with that. So um, I was fascinated by my uh, psychology courses and said, oh, you know, I it might be pretty easy to just sit down in a chair and listen to people's problems. And um, lo and behold, you find out that uh, a bachelor's degree in psychology is about useless, and uh, um, all my friends are going out and getting jobs, and I got to keep going. And so I got into a doctoral program that was incredibly serendipitous and. Um, like basically, my school opened up a program the same year that I was graduating, and needed people and lo and behold you you put in six years of hard work and dedication, and you end up a doctor of psychology so <laughs> um, a lot of people say, "Oh, you're a doctor, you must be pretty smart, and that doesn't have anything to do with it. I mean, some of these advanced degrees is really just about sticking it out you know and and people get weeded out in the process so but through that you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about people. And, uh, so now I'm, uh, I've been functioning and working as a clinical psychologist, uh, in my hometown area. It's a pretty rural area and, you know, seeing the, I don't really specialize too much in anything because it's a rural area. You don't really have the amount of people to do that. So you just see who comes in and needs help and, and you work with them, but you see patterns and, that's kind of why when you popped up, the I don't even remember what podcast it was, but you said, you know, i got to do a podcast on bullying or something, and I, I shot out that message right away because bullying, parenting, and then like stuff from the previous talk that we had, these are the things that are consistently the center and the core of the issues I see in my office. So
0: Interesting. Well, I mean, kind of just to let you know, the part of the show you didn't hear as I was getting ready to have you on, I said that... You know, One of the things that really bothers me with this topic is I don't know the solution or even necessarily a a solution that would make half – I'd take half the problem gone like that quick if I could make that deal. But one of the things that really kind of ruffles me and it just makes me want to smack people is when I hear people say, just teach children to stand up to their bullies. And and I know you have some thoughts on what you call leaning into, so hold off on that for right now because I want to do that later in the show. But my issue there is that bullies never pick someone that they feel that they're physically or in, in a, a social situation equal to or weaker than. The entire concept of bullying is predicated on this person's weaker. And I'm sorry, you can teach kids taekwondo and martial arts, or, you know, Uncle Billy teaches them to, to punch somebody in the jaw. And, and when you have, especially these groups of bullies that outnumber a person, that's not going to work, and, and I just think there's a lot of kind of law lawism in people in our age group and a little bit older because they're thinking of bullying in, in 1980, not bullying in 2016. I just wonder what your thoughts on that are in general.
1: I mean, I, I think a lot of us are stuck in this kind of 1980s way of bullying, and even, um, honestly, I mean, that type of bullying has been kind of in place since... Ever. I mean, <laughs> well, it's, been, it's been in place forever, but it's... But it hasn't really changed into the 2016 type of bullying, except for the past five years, yeah. you know, with technology and such. But yeah, no, this whole, you know, this is where you know, common media and, and, and TV shows and sitcoms kind of don't help us out because, I mean, every sitcom has had the show with if there's a kid in there who he went and took a couple of taekwondo classes and flipped a kid out and then everybody's the
0: nose or whatever it was it all? I'm mean, all the way back in the 80s, right? Arnold in the the Goonch from uh, <laughs> what the hell is that show? Um, I want to say Three's company, but it wasn't it was from that time period though uh, with Arnold with a
1: different strokes or?
0: yeah different strokes right I've <laughs> yeah. had the gooch and finally he stands up to the gooch and it, 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 it's, it's, it's fun fantasy, and so are Disney uh, you know uh, movies but but they're not grounded in reality you know bullies will always you know back down if confronted and I'll tell you what the only thing I saw back down bullies when I was in school was a third party. Right. So I was I was the kid that if you were picking on someone a lot smaller than you and you were not a lot bigger than me, especially, I'd say, hey, I think you need to leave him alone. And then, yes, right. Then it just caves in. But the person that's being picked on has been targeted for a reason.
1: Right. Yep. And 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 the thing is, is what people don't realize is that individuals who do become bullies, especially the especially the ones that are the. uh, the most prolific, they are looking constantly for those individuals to manipulate. Mm. And it is not hard to find them um, just as much as, you know, one of the first things they'll teach you in a self-defense class if you're a woman is to walk with your head up versus your head down. You know, because the fact of the matter is, is that's a defining characteristic between someone who can be taken advantage of and who can't. Um, it's that level of confidence, whether it's real or just even perceived, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and at some point we might talk about, you know, what does what is a bully? How do we address something if it if if our child is a bully? But um, most of the concern are for those that are being bullied and what we can do for that. So sure.
0: So you say that bullying is a product of trapping children into a forced society. I agree a thousand percent. But can you explain that further?
1: Well, I think, I think it's probably safe, you know, um, to say that this is a theory, okay? It's a theory, but when you really start playing it out, you see it in all ways, shapes, and forms. So um, this goes back to some of the old Milgram experiments that actually have been on TV now and they're where you, you trap these people into a situation and where they cannot escape and tell them to follow orders, and they do even if they know or think that somebody's getting hurt, and um, so anyway, there's there's this idea that if if we look at what schools are, you know, I know there's a lot of school bashing that happens on here, and and I do have to come out and say I we homeschool our children. It's been a change that's happened. I'm, I have eight and a six year old, and we've done that ever since my uh, five my oldest son was in a young fives program, coming home every day crying because he was a bad kid, and he was always in trouble and he he so he felt like he was a bad kid and my wife was like yeah this isn't happening so i am jaded on that part as we go forward but this whole schools are forced societies we're i mean everybody that's where they go and if you don't you're looked weird if you all homeschoolers are weird is kind of the message a lot of people get but your kids are supposed to go to school and if they don't they're going to be these social misfits or something and so, one, we got a forced society. What other forced societies do we see? Well, prison's a pretty forced society. Okay, so are they trapped in there? Well, c- kids aren't allowed to leave schools. Neither are people in prison. And you've made that corollary many a time. Mm-hmm. And so now the question happens, is there bullying in prison? Absolutely. It's the
0: first thing. That, I mean, they, they set up their own social hierarchies immediately. And it's a lot like school because... You show me a bully, and I can probably find you someone that bullies him. Yep. There's only one top bully in the whole thing, right? And then they all it all trickles down, and since I'm being attacked, I feel a need to find someone else to predate on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and oftentimes, I mean, in a prison situ- uh, situation, there is a top dog who's earned his way there or bought his way or what have you, or has got, earned protection from the guards, you know, and having never been in prison, these are just stories I've heard. But having been in school, you know, the top bully is not in the school. The top bully is in that bully's home, usually. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they're, they're predating on other kids because when they go home, they get it. And they're- you know
0: what else is a corollary, too, right? So if you go into a prison system and look around, you'll see some people in there that don't victimize anybody. They're kind of decent guys for people that are in prison. Mm-hmm. No one bothers them either. They're right. just kind of left alone, and if you go to school and, and and in prison, that's not the majority, but in schools, that's actually the majority of students are the the ones that are just left be, and that gives us this false sense of security that
1: this isn't really a big problem, right? And 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 that you know both of these places that we're talking about have a class structure, right? I mean, um, there's a pecking order that that happens that when you walk into prison the first day or you walk into school, um, you know I can remember. Uh, I was at basketball practice one day, and I talked to my buddy, and I said, "Do you consider me a jock or a nerd?" And he said, "I think I consider you a jock." And I remember being happy about that. <laughs> yeah. And and now, in all of my nerdness, I'm a little disappointed in myself because I pride myself on being that nerd. You know, it's like yeah. It, and and there's value
0: in that. And be nice to nerds; you'll probably work for one someday. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You know? uh, but and, I mean, I understand that because, like, so for me, w- w- with being involved with sports. It was almost like a benign gang, right? It wasn't like an aggressive prison gang, but it was like a benign gang. Like you played football, well, no one jacked with you, and if anybody did, then your gang was there for you to like, even like the lowliest guy on the team, like like you know the the the, the omega on the team that, that that everybody picked on a little bit, but in a good natured way because they're part of the group. If mm-hmm. someone outside the fault said anything to that kid. Whoa, hold on. Especially like, you know, you're a bench benchwarmer or something. I didn't see you at practice. Be gone now. Right? Yeah. So it's kind of a gang dynamic, but it's a much more benign thing.
1: Yeah, Only we can pick on that guy, you but know.
0: Only we can pick on. He's our guy. And, and uh, to be fair, at least where I went to school, that was a good-natured kind of like, it's like the goat at West Point, right? The guy that graduates last. Everybody puts a buck in and at, at graduation. He gets the money because he stuck it out and he made it, that type of thing.
1: Yeah you know i it it does remind me when i was in when I was in college um, I went to a school that had a pretty horrendous bat, uh, football team, but yet when we were in the cafeteria, they would just walk in and cut lines and just go wherever they wanted to and But they came in threes and fours and sometimes more. And what are you going to do? Go up to them and say, "Hey, dude, get the back of the line." When you're talking to college football players, you know, yeah, it's a gang for sure. They just did whatever they wanted to. And I mean, not that it wasn't horrible, but you know, it's generally social. That was a
0: coaching problem there, because I'll tell you what: if we would have pulled some shit like that, um, the next day at practice would have been the most miserable experience of your life. (laughs) Well, there's a sub, there's a certain – leadership is, is key there too, right? Yeah. That's That's an example. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. So I mean, getting back to this for society stuff though, I mean, we see this in animals. I mean, bullying does happen in animals when you close the society and you force them to stay there. Um, ergo, the whole idea of a pecking order. And if that one chicken is weird, if that one chicken is different, it just gets – torn up to the point where essentially you'll find it one day dead or it'll be so ostracized it it i mean we got one we call him we call her sheldon because uh well you can pretty much make the corollary there but the thing is is that sheldon is always trying to get out of the coop and usually succeeds because sheldon would rather be by herself than with them yeah. because when she's there they pick on her you know and it kind of reminds me of some of your stuff with buddy the goose you know i'm mean, may she rest in peace but you know how 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 she came about, you know? Yeah. With, with the mafia. So
0: well, yeah, and being raised differently than the rest of the mafia, right? So we're gonna yeah. try geese again now and we're gonna we're gonna raise the whole gaggle with the birds from day one so that they feel that they're part of that group, you know, and we'll see how mm-hmm. that works. But I mean what you're saying is very accurate. Sometimes it's just well how confined, right? So I used to be big into keeping reptiles and aquarium fish and you'd put certain fish in an aquarium And they start tearing each other apart. For the same number of fish in a bigger aquarium, everybody has a space. Everybody can get away. Everybody can chill. Problem goes away. Exactly. And and, or certain fish are very insecure. I know this is kind of off topic, but there's if you always in a little black and white stripe, black and yellow stripe ones called barbs in the fish store. They're cool looking, but they're like paranoid unless they're in a school. You put two of them in a big tank with an angel fish. They'll tear the angel fish apart, pick its fins out. Put twenty of them in there in a school. They leave them alone. And Mm -hmm. there's like there's a security thing there that people need certain basic needs met and feel basic levels of security, and then they tend, and and, and also space, right? Because that's the biggest thing lacking in school. If you think of schools, you don't have space. There's People say, well, ignore them. Well, you can't ignore them. Where the hell are you going to go? And especially right. the kid that's just across from you in, in, in class or whatever picking on a kid.
1: Yeah, there, I mean, and that's where, you know, this whole idea, I mean, when I say, you know, trapping children there, I mean, it, it's essentially what we're doing. I mean, they're... I mean, unless you're growing up in some extremely rural area, you got, you got 30 kids in a classroom and when you're in the hallways, when that bell rings, it's tough to, hundreds, you know, I mean, where are you really going to go? And, you know, so this is where we say how, how it's kind of changed. Well, those kids, a lot of times those kids were counting down three o'clock. Okay. I'm going to get out of here and go home. And then it was safe. But, you know, now that's kind of changed, you know, I'm sure we'll get to that in a second, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, there's. It is they're trapped there, at least in the way that they want that you know society and school systems and educational system tells us that. So we do just to kind of juxtapose this a little bit. We do take part in two, uh, we've taken part in three, but two different homeschool co-ops. And there's no bully in there. You know, you don't have to be there, and the kids that are there are happy to be there. And Surprisingly enough, there's not a bunch of social misfits either. Some of them are more socially well-adjusted than any of the kids I see in schools. And the parents are there, and they're observing, and things are taken care of right away. And it is a, it's a pretty interesting thing to see this kind of community of people working together to provide experiences for kids because – homeschool parents have to work a little harder, you know? yeah,
0: and I mean another thing is if you want people to be socially functional, then they need to be able to socially express themselves and if they actually feel that they can without being ridiculed, they might actually get good by repeating practice of that skill to the point where they're actually good at it. I mean that, that that's I'm a redneck you know duck farmer, but I, even I can figure that out my, my question for you next though really is so does this translate to adult behavior as well? Outside of prison, do adults in general anywhere else behave the way the kids do in schools, other than prison?
1: So, in that situation, we start looking at okay, where are adults most of the time? They're in work. They're in, they're employed. Correct. And so certain certain types of jobs people have to have and feel. And then there's a lot of kind of we'll call I don't want to call it segregation we'll call classism almost there's levels right mm-hmm. and so we'll we'll call them like factories per se all right so then you start looking at what happens in factories and you see very similar types of behaviors until you work your way up you know almost very much prison like and when you, have prison, when you have prison, when you have factories, well, you know, just by stereotyping it, a lot of people that are in factories kind of need the job. So they're essentially almost, you know, quote unquote trapped there. So then everybody just kind of falls in the line of what they're used to, which was high school and this class, this type of way and who's better than who and people talking behind their back. Where if you go to a you know, if you've ever had the opportunity to work in a place that was really was pretty wide open and didn't have that trap feeling, there's none of that going on. It's cohesive. Everybody's working together. Um, another the place si- I've seen it yeah. with adults is schools. Yep. I mean, that's
0: school. You want to see people act like children, and I know I'm going to get shit for this, but I'm serious. School teachers, you just listen. Like, my. My sister-in-law is a teacher, and some of the stories that I hear about the faculty interaction, I'm like, you guys do know you're supposed to be the ones in charge of this stuff, right?
1: Well, and if you look at the – I mean, I guess you're going to drag me down, and I'm going to get it too probably, but (laughs) the, the thing is is that let's look at the teaching profession, okay? They get into it to help kids, but they get trapped into it, because of the benefits, because of this idea of getting um, a pension or this this really good retirement, and then you know, hey, the summers off are awesome, and it's really interesting. But I ha- I see a lot of teachers, and their number one feeling is they're trapped. I, I, I've got 13 years in, and I don't really want to teach anymore. I got to get out of here, but only seven more years, and I get my pension, and. That's trapped. I mean, there's no other way to talk about that. It, it you are they are trapped, and it is a forced society of seniority and stuff like that. Um, you now, that isn't all teachers, but but to to a certain degree, you know, a lot of these places where you know they offer all these massive benefits when you retire, they're there to keep your eye. You know, it's to it's the ring on the on the merry-go-round. It's the carrot. You know, you got to be a good little soldier until you get along, to the end.
0: Get along, right? And I mean, the yeah. other thing is. I know teachers like my sister-in-law, for instance, that went to school, went to college, became a teacher, decided they were going to do something else, then worked in the, in the actual real world for a number of years, and then decided, okay, I'm going to go back to school, or people that came to teaching through some other professional path. But there are a lot of teachers who have never functioned in any way other than like personal life outside of an institution. In other words, they went to elementary, they went to high school, they went to college, they went from college straight back to elementary or high school or teaching at some level to collegiate level, and they've never actually had any professional existence outside of an institution. Mm-hmm. And that can't, that can't lead to a balanced understanding of life outside of institutions because you haven't experienced it.
1: Well, and you're working in a closed system inside of a closed system where there's all this, you know, groupings and jocks and skaters and smokers and all that. I mean, (laughs) that's who you're overseeing. I mean, you're essentially a prison guard. And notoriously, prison guards aren't the most well-adjusted and socially acceptable people in the world either, you know. So there's a reason for that. And, you know, it's not because of who they are as individuals. It has to do with where you work day in and day out, you know. It's conditioning. yeah, yeah, exactly. Conditioning. So, um, you, you, we do see this. I mean, another place we kind of see it sometimes is in churches. You know, there's, yeah. in it it's yeah. more secretive. It's a little more hidden, but there's there's a hierarchy there, and um, it, is it forced? Not per se, but sometimes through birthright, it is. You know, or how your parents feel, or how your community feels about it, and so, um, you know, that it's just but another at
0: back. It's another institution. It's almost like. For this to happen, it has to be within some sort of an institution with some sort of confines. A factory has you have to work, you have to work, and you have to be there, and you have to do your job, and you have to punch a time clock and and what have you. A school, obviously, an institutional connotation there. With With a religious institution, there's a belief system that binds you to it, even if the walls do not.
1: Right. And and that belief system is used to say, well, we're the same people, when in fact, you're very much not. And you're allowed to have your own different interpretations of those beliefs to a degree, you know. But some people don't allow that. You have to believe this way. This is what the Bible says. And, well, yeah, four pages later, it kind of says it different, but, you know, hey, whatever, you know. So.
0: Well, yeah. And I was even thinking at the church level, not even about the religious connotation. Like, you're bound by that religious affiliation. But then, I mean, I've seen. In, in the Catholic church growing up, a whole struggle for recognition among people that would, let's say support the annual picnic or something like that. And being assigned different roles and never quite getting to do the thing that you want. I mean, stuff like that committees and stuff that it's just, again, I look at that and go, that's not adult behavior. That's institutionalized behavior.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it it's, there's, you know, when you start looking at it in terms of institutionalization, you see that structure a lot in a variety of different places, and when you see it, you see similar kind of structural, I want to say, socially immature type of actions, you know, with like this levels and caste system almost, you know, uh, to kind of go back to you know things over in India and stuff like that. But uh, and, and and I guess when we start looking at these different systems. And we see the levels, well, if you're going to have these theoretical levels in these systems, then, of course, there's going to be people who have a perceived power over other levels that are thought to be lower. And therefore, you have bullying. I mean, yeah. and in it's, and its kind of more basic form.
0: Yeah, I mean, and pe- I see. I think it's very much a domestication thing because people would say, "Well, this structure naturally occurs in nature." Let's look at a wolf pack, and you know, there's an omega in a wolf pack that's the lowest, weakest wolf, and there's elderly wolves that are have to step back from their points of leadership. But it really isn't anything like bullying because the the pack finds its structure in hierarchy. And then the pack moves as a unit, and it will do things like elders will move to the front even though they're weaker because they're they they've been around longer. Almost like they know they can sacrifice themselves, but they also have knowledge. And your your core is in the in the in the front and the rear, and then your mid group is between those cores. Uh, and your so your fighters are positioned just behind the elders and all the way at the back of the pack. And if something attacks that omega, the alpha and the beta uh, wolves, the male and female, will tear it apart. And Mm -hmm. that pack has a stasis, and there's only times where it's basically like, so for the good of the pack, who's the leader? Who's the Who should be procreating? Who should be guarding? Who should be watching out for everybody? So if there is a wolf that doesn't fit in that pack, it just leaves and finds another pack that will take it in. Right. Where with human beings, we have so domesticated ourselves, we're like that chicken of your Sheldon that just can't get away.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you look at a wolf pack. That's a system. That is a that is a delineated system that works for them. I mean, that's not a caste system. They're not they're not constantly picking on the omega. He, the omega has a job, and, and and it's a system that works for their survival. Versus how we tend to look at things when we get th- we might have a system in place, but inherently we have this part of us that when we get a little bit of power, we start picking on the Omega in that yep. particular situation. And oh, we're just kidding. You know, i oh, just kidding, you know, no, it's not like no. th- there's a certain amount of power you're, you're getting from that, you know, and, uh, you know, go well, in
0: that wolf pack, right. So the big difference there is the, the pack will have certain rules of where another animal has to fit in. But if mm-hmm. that animal says, I don't want to follow these rules, so I'm going to leave, they don't run it down and kill it or make it come back.
1: Exactly. There's no it-
0: prevention from escape. Where, where we've created these groups where that option's not there. But let, let's move into solutions because we've beaten the problem up pretty good here. <laughs> yeah. um, how do we help a, a kid that's being bullied? Like I've said this already, like just teach them to stand up for themselves. Well, to some degree, that can work in some situations. But when a kid's outclassed physically, they're outclassed physically, I'm sorry. Not to mention, the kid's going to be in just as much trouble for physically standing up for themselves. But another classic piece of advice is just ignore them. Mm-hmm. So we talk about that, just ignore them how does that work out
1: yeah that yeah that, that that works out phenomenally let's let's teach passivity and teach you to fall in line and be bullied the rest of your life because when you graduate from school you 'll totally forget about that and you 're going to be an active member of society, and you won 't ever let that happen again you know no ignoring them it, it, it Sometimes rather than thinking about things in terms of the, a lot of times we think about the victim who's being bullied, but you have to think about who the bully is and they want responses. So if you're not ignoring them, the classic bully is always going to try harder and they will find new ways until they get the response that they're looking for. You know, it's, it's, it's about control and are managing that individual. And the fact is, is ignoring them actually, perpetuates the problem in most situations as opposed to having them move on to go pick on the next person as you know the theory kind of posits so um that you know, i still hear that you know i still hear teachers telling students and, and students coming into my office well i'm supposed to just ignore them but that's hard well because it doesn't work you know it, i mean maybe with one out of ten bullies it does you know somebody who's not that committed to being a bully or something but generally speaking. That's just a challenge to try harder for them.
0: What, what I've seen is that it generally works if it's done initially. So the bully targets a kid and the kid just like blows him off and ignores him. In, in that situation, it'll work many times. But most people respond initially. Once they've got you as a mark, they will taunt you and taunt you and taunt you and taunt you until you respond. Mm-hmm. Because they've already determined, I I I already found a nerve here. I already know, and and a lot of times these bullies aren't that sophisticated. They don't really know that's what they're doing, but but I can look at them and go, that's what they're doing. I'm sure as a psychologist, you can see that even more clearly. Once they know this this person has a weakness, I can I can hit on because they they've they've reacted to it before. It's just like that chicken with that spot. that They just all keep pecking. They know it's there, you know.
1: And, right. and, and say the chicken has a pea brain. Humans should be smarter than this. Well, we would hope, but it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes, and yeah, it, I think that's an excellent. It, it, it's it's a really good good um, thought because if they if you were to train, say, your child, if you were to work with your child and say, if you feel somebody's bullying, you don't ever give them any response. Yeah, I I would say that in most situations that bully will move on. But if they have given the response, if they have cried once, if they had got a little physical once, the bully says, "I got you." Yeah. You know, yeah. hooks are in, the hooks are in. And now the challenge is I got to get you there again and I'll work until, until I do it because that will give me satisfaction because for whatever reason, that's what I'm looking for is to do that. So, um, yeah, ignoring, it might be, I've never been, you know, I got an eight year old who's never been bullied. Okay. Let's teach him how to do, how to ignore it. That'd be a good way to go about it. Not for somebody who's already in the mix.
0: Well, it's also like, this that's like level one defense, right? So so when I teach martial arts, my level one defense is avoid contact.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, but if that fails, there has to be a follow-up, right? So now contact's going to occur. Now I'm going to redirect contact and reapply contact because you've now aggressed on me. And unfortunately for you, the non-aggression principle no longer applies to you. Um, it can't be that simple in school because, again, we're targeting the weaker as a bully. That's how that works out. You talk about leaning into a bully.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Leaning in the best way I can, you know, for, for probably the the audience is it's the get shit done equivalent of dealing with a bully. I mean, it's, it's doing something proactive. you know, if we think about leaning away, all right, that's, that's ignoring, that's moving away, that's running away. Well, if you run away, they're just going to chase you down. They're going to find you the next time, you know, so none of that works, it, if we lean into it, almost like we're skiing, you know, I've never been a big skier, but there's this metaphor out there that if you lean back when you're skiing, you're on your butt all the time. You have to lean into it. You have to propel yourself down the mountain and then manage it. So that's the way to approach life too. We got to lean into it. So so when we lean into bullies, we got to not necessarily be aggressive. No, that doesn't that doesn't work out. And oftentimes you're going to be the one getting into more trouble in a school system because... It isn't the person that starts the problem. It's always the person that's witnessed doing the physicality that gets in the most amount of trouble. And this whole leaning in is just is standing up to them with a certain amount of confidence. It's, looking, it's basically telling them, I see what you're doing. I'm not afraid of you. And that ends up being pretty confusing for bullies almost all the time because they work on this fear principle. They're trying to elicit fear. And if what they're doing doesn't get the response they want, they get confused. Bullying is generally a pretty, especially with kids, it, it's pretty simple. They they want to do X Y and they want to do A B and C to get X Y and Z. And if they don't get X Y and Z, they'll keep doing A B and C to try to get it. So with kids in my office, what I work with them on is doing the unpredictable, is to do the things that aren't expected, to look at them and if they call you a name, to look at them and smile and say thank you. And the, the, then you get that kind of, you know, you know, tucked head to the side dog look like Her? you know, and it, because a bully does not expect that. And so they'll call a name more because that they go only to A, B and C. Right. So that, that's that they only have what they're going to do. And if you give them a response that is not predictable, it is not understood. That is the best way to get a bully to move on. Now that can be done in a variety of ways. you know some people use humor extremely well in these situations. Um, they create awkward situations. Uh, I was talking with a kid the other day about letters that were being dropped into a locker, and so these letters were put into a locker, and then they already they, the kid had stopped reading them because they knew what was being said on it and rather and I said you know." It was actually a friend that was, that was uh, helping this person. I said, what they should do is carry those letters around and say, I got five love letters from so-and-so. And I I mean, like, you know. Keep trying to tell him I'm not gay, but he won't. He won't. I know. Like, he, he just doesn't get the message. And I, I understand I'm a ridiculously good-looking person, but I'm just, you know, I'm not into that. And so I'm just going to throw these away. You know, just using awkwardness and, and, and humor to a degree that actually pushes people the other way. You know, the old. And that's when you can enter in the thought of the bully running away with the tail between the legs type of thing. and But the thing is, is there a chance of increased physicality? That's the yes. problem, right? So you there,
0: actually are you are on some levels trying to diffuse the situation, but on other levels, you're also kind of agitating and, and amping up the situation.
1: But if you're ever going to do anything, that is always the case, right? Yeah. In that situation, yeah. that would be the failure. But we can't be afraid of the failure. Being afraid of the failure is what makes us passive. It makes us fall into line, right? So we have to be we have to lean into it, knowing we may fall on our face. Yeah. But that is the only way to actually be free of it too. You know, See, and, I think there's like I think there's almost
0: a case for vigilantism here though, right? So I'm gonna do a confession right now on a vigilant uh, activity that I committed in high school. So there was this kid that was being picked on by this other guy, and it was a locker thing, which made me think of it. And they were doing stuff like they, this one guy and his buddy were putting, like, pink hearts on the guy's locker and stuff like that. So I didn't want the kid to get beat up or nuts, so I waited for a day to come to school. And being a hunter, I had access to scents, right, like mm-hmm. skunk urine. <laughs> so I brought a bottle of skunk, you squeeze a bottle of skunk urine in, and both of these guys, you know, lockers have those little um vents in them, so I pumped about half of the bottle into each one of their lockers. Of course, it was wintertime, so their coats are in there. So they both smelled <laughs> like a skunk. And then we started kind of ragging on them that they stunk and smelled like skunks and, and what have you. And uh the kid was free and clear because he wasn't there in school. And it kind of stopped. And, and I, I know, see, my problem is you start endorsing that you can create a gang violence re- type, type of thing going. But I think there's like generally speaking, there's a place for people that can stand up for others to do it. I just don't know the most effective way to do that, but I'll tell you this did work.
1: Yeah, and I mean I mean if we go back to you talked about be the wolf a while ago and you know the then there's the sheepdog, right? I mean you're essentially saying, you know, this is the job for the sheepdog to go in there and and, and get these wolves out of there perhaps. And you know, there the thing is is that there is a chance that these individuals could get in trouble but in some ways there needs to be some of that is needed in a way you know i mean everybody loves batman even though he is a vigilante and he's not supposed to be doing what he's supposed to be doing you know and but we all secretly want batman in our lives because he will help us even though he's against the law so to speak you know so i mean that's that's only for certain types of people and you know generally i don't have a bunch of want to be vigilantes in my office figuring out how to be a better vigilante. So I got to work with the people that are being victimized and figure out how to stand up for themselves. So, um, and it might be, Hey, this guy looks like he's a vigilante, might stick with him, but usually we'd kind of work on the one-on-one basis. So, but, uh, you know, the, the humor thing in the awkwardness thing, trying to create these awkward situations has, has been relatively successful for a lot of the kids that can do it. I mean, some of these kids are so beat down, they have so little confidence that they can't even look a bully in the eye to get the sort of reaction that they want, you know, to say with confidence, so you're picking on me, that must mean you like me, you know what, how about... My mom's having meatloaf today. How about, I'm going to call her right now and see if you can come over for meatloaf tonight. Does that sound like a good idea? You know, hey, mom, hey, you know, remember Billy? Yeah, no, he's a nice guy. You know, we're going to be friends. Can you come, you know, the bully's gone by then, right? Billy's gone. He doesn't want to come over to your house for meatloaf. But not many kids can do that, you know. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. Like, I'm the guy that can always come up with some kind of, like, you, you insult me. I'm going to throw something back at you that's going to make you look really stupid. Right. But that's a gift, right? Like, just, like, telling kids to do that. It, it, it doesn't always work. I mean, I, so I guess you have to have each person figure out their own strength
1: that they can use. Well, it it ends up rebuilding what bullies have torn down. I mean, the bully is making you a non confident individual, and generally that was already put into place from probably home life anyway, where you you know you have a parent who hasn't has been neglectful or just not you know built you up in any way, so that you have a, a an appropriate amount of confidence. So, you know, it's, it's it's making a person feel that they're worthwhile, that they can stand up, that they can hold their chest up, lift their head, and look people in the eye. You know, I mean, eye contact is, you don't see that a whole lot anymore. I mean, a lot of people uh-huh. are looking down. They're all ashamed of who knows what, you know, but everybody's got their own things that they're ashamed of. So it kind of starts there when working with somebody. It's this whole idea of you're a worthwhile person. You don't deserve this to have this happen to you. And then down the road, we can work on being creative and, and finding things to to address that in some way.
0: Why don't schools do more about this problem? I mean, in, in some instances it looks like they do almost nothing. And, and if they do identify any kind of bullying, they kind of do the joint punishment thing even when the kid being picked on didn't do anything.
1: Yeah, and you know, this whole the only thing I can really come up with when it comes to schools and is that the things that they do are really to get the, the communities off their back. We have an anti-bullying policy. We wrote it up. Well,
0: that's <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah. You know,
1: well my we went and watched a movie this weekend and my wife's like, "Hey, don't worry, we're safe. There's a sign in the movie theater that says don't bring guns in here, so no one's going to shoot us." You know, and it's like and we had a little chuckle because then all the people who actually have, you know, CPL licenses don't have their weapons, which means that everybody's vulnerable to somebody who doesn't really care, you know. So we had a chuckle with that. But that's what an anti-bullying policy is, you know. We're against this. Well, you have to actually put things into place. You have to have, you know, teach some of these people. I mean, the number one thing for anybody to stop being a bully is to understand what it does to people, empathy, you know. But you don't see any how-to-be-empathic type of classes in schools, and the other thing is, is they're afraid. A lot of schools are afraid to actually get involved because the bullies themselves, they want to continue to be that. And often, they're, you know, if it, that bully might go home and get beat by his dad, right? I mean, that's kind of stereotypical. But I guarantee you that if that if that child gets in trouble, that that dad will stand behind him and say that the school is picking on him. And all of a sudden, you got a court case and and all of that, you know.
0: Well, don't so, you have this dynamic too? So uh, Johnny gets picked on and Johnny's dad intervenes and says, you better leave my son alone, or the teacher intervenes and says, you better leave him alone, and then the bully says, you need someone to protect you, and and it just actually makes the problem worse. So isn't there some level the schools have some legitimacy in saying, at, at some
1: levels, if we intervene, sometimes we can actually make the problem worse? I mean, yeah, because if you start, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that if you actually start w- really working on the problem, you'll actually find out how big the problem actually is and no one's really equipped to deal with that because we're also talking about something, bullying, that has literally been around in some capacity for hundreds of years. So working on it and really actively working on it becomes almost too overwhelming because you either have to have constant hall walkers, you know, like you have to have people that are Walking around with you to protect you, which then just gets you teased more because now oh, you got to have a protector, like you said. And you know, I mean, and the other thing is, is that schools, to a certain degree, they function on this classism on these levels. You know, they, 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 they actually kind of create it. You know, you you get these kids with certain names that get special treatment. You get these kids that look a certain way with certain types of treatment. You get these other kids, you know, a, a classic winner athletes who certain rules don't really apply to. And there's support for the other things that are going on in a society that the school is important with, you know, um, the relationships, the the fact that dad's a good uh, booster to the sports program. And if we pick pick on his bully of a son, he's going to pull his sponsorships, you know. I mean, there's all this because it's about money.
0: Oh, it's all about money. I mean, there's just... Anybody that says that public education is not all
1: about money is in denial of the fact that it's not public education.
0: It's government education.
1: Right, right. Yeah, you, you said that a couple weeks ago, and yeah. I just was like, hey, that I've been using that one for a while now because there's no public about it you know, yeah. other than the public attends, <laughs> I can't go it.
0: there. I can't. I'm not allowed in. It's not public. I don't mm-hmm. have a, ch- a kid in that school. I can't go there. It's not public. It's government, right? Mm-hmm. Just like if you right. want to go visit somebody at prison, you have to know somebody in the prison to go be a visitor. Mm-hmm. They have to want to see you. You can't just go to prison and start talking to people. You have to right. get in from some sort of an angle. Um, and I think there's a lot of naivety because as you're saying this, I, I just threw how to deal with a bully into Google. Clicked on images because you can find all of the quick answers with images. Here's one I think you'll find interesting. It has five ways to handle a bully, and there's a hand up. It comes from a, a site called SuccessInLearning.net, so you know it's good. Number one, stand up straight and say, leave me alone. Number two, hold your hand up and say, stop it. Three, move away to a crowded area. That's probably where you already are, I'm just saying. Talk to a teacher, parent, or friend. Stay calm and talk friendly. And and I just look at that and go, I I don't think the person that wrote this could have ever actually been bullied in their life.
1: Probably not. And even if they were, and that worked for them, it, it would only work for one out of 20 kids. Um, or
0: it, 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 they have uh, that selective memory of, you know, I always stood up for myself and it worked out, and they don't remember crying in the corner or whatever the hell it was.
1: Yeah, because most bullies are going to say, what's your hand going to do to stop me? Yeah. You know, like, what are, do you have Jedi powers? You know, like, yeah. you know, I mean, there's there's so many, you know, go to the crowd. Okay, well, just run away. I'll get you after school, you know. or oh, yeah. You know, and it's, yeah, there's, bullies are very, uh, generally speaking, they know what they're doing, you know, yeah. and, and, and they can... When the, when you have the aggression, when you have the, the theoretical power there, uh, you tend to you tend to use it in any other way. You know, especially when oftentimes, like you said before, they're going to be the more physical individual. They're going to be usually bigger. They're you know they're not scared of you.
0: What about this technological age, ring? Because you mentioned it kind of as an aside earlier. Like the kids go and you know. I'm going to get out of here, and then they go home, and they're attacked on their Facebook page or whatever or their email or, or what have you.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what we were alluding to before when we were talking about how things have really have, have changed because, you know, if school got out at 3 o'clock, the kid, if he could make it on the bus without getting bothered, he was safe until the next morning. Unless he was bullied on the bus. Well, unless he was bullied on the bus. Yeah. Okay, but he, okay, so he gets off the bus, and as long as his parents aren't bullies, then, then he's yeah, safe he's there. Done. But... The in this day and age, that's that's where it just gets started, you know, with with individuals Facebook and and then you got some of these these other ones, whether it be Snapchat. I mean, they can you can send something via Snapchat, and you know, since most kids aren't all that techno- technologically advanced, except for just how to use it, they can send something that says a letter on it that says I'm going to kill you when you leave your house in the morning, and then it's gone. You know, it, it, it doesn't exist anymore. There's no remnants of that because it's just in the Snapchat pit of everything's been deleted. And and so, you know, some of these bullies are really using these advantages to continue and perpetuate their problems. And then you start hearing about, you know, kids getting, uh, well, I mean, what's essentially become a suicide epidemic mm-hmm. with kids not being able to escape it. They have nowhere to go. And, you know, that's what we call learned helplessness. I mean, if if you have nowhere to go and there's nowhere to be free and there's nowhere to be safe... Then why be here? And, and that's that's the thought process that happens with a lot of these kids. And but the, what never happens is, is, is they don't realize that you just don't log on. You know, you, you you don't get bullied on Facebook if you're not on Facebook. But in a world like this, that's that's a, that's a, that's a lot to ask a 13 year old where pretty much everything's on Facebook. You know, so the the thing is is that bullying hasn't really changed throughout the years in terms of why it happens and, and how often it happens. But what has happened is the access to bullying has gone through the roof, and now the bullies have 24-7 access instead of eight hours a day or what have you.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's completely unfettered, and they can use anonymity because, though the kid being picked on knows who, it's, who it is, but there's no way to prove it. Um, you can teach a kid how to use Photoshop in this day and age as a bully, and, oh, my God, what they can come up with there. And an adult might look at some of that stuff and go, you know, I live in your head. Mm-hmm. I live in your head. You're such a sad being that you would do something like that. But to a child that hasn't had that, that maturity yet, to be able to, to 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 look at something like that and go, what you do like that does not matter or affect me at all, it, it's it's real and it hurts. And it's, it's, it's also like it's not somebody from across the country. That's a person they're going to go have to stand in front of tomorrow morning and every freaking day until they get out of that place we call school.
1: Yeah, I mean – I got. I, I talk to you know certain kids who want to be done with school, and we we talk about surviving. You know, you just got to survive through high school, because once you leave, you know, let's say you were to go to a college, okay? So you know, there's this all this. Okay, is that really the best thing to do? For some people, it is. Well, a college is not a closed environment. It is not a forced society. And when you walk onto a college campus, sure, there's different groups of people, and over there the smokers, and they're inviting. They'll bring you in. You know, it it's a way different environment than what a high school is. And when I was there, I was a, I was a resident advisor for two years. So I was in charge of uh, 56 freshman boys that were freshmen coming onto campus. I don't know why I did it for two years, but I survived. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the thing is, is that the people that succeeded in the college environment were most likely the kids that were bullied and found freedom. And the people that did not were the bullies, the jocks they couldn't find their situation anywhere. They could not find how they could be a bully here because there was nowhere to do it and no one put up with it. And they ended up dropping out within a year. You know, it, it's, it wasn't for them. And they, most likely, where'd they go? Probably went and worked at a factory where they could be that again, you know. So, you know, but ultimately, uh, this whole idea of the access and, and teaching these kids how to stand up, but to have the confidence and, and to look at them it, it really should be done by the parents. And all, most of the time it's not. I mean, we had, and a lot of that is the society. We have to work, two people have to work jobs. They're working jobs offset, first, first shift, second shift. And some of them aren't very happy. Some of them, parents are being bullies. I mean, it, it always comes back, you know, when it comes to bullying and where the problem lies, it comes back to, it lies with parenting, parenting at its core. So. Hmm.
0: It's it, 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 There's not any easy answer to this. I think the best answer, if it's possible, is remove your children from the institution where it's it's basically rampant. So, like, if if I was sending my kid to a place where every day they were being fed poison and I couldn't stop the feeding, I'd stop sending them there. And in many ways, I mean, I said at the beginning of the show before I had you on, this is a survival topic, and you brought it up again. I I mentioned a a, a child I knew when he was five years old who killed himself at, like, 19. He was out of school by then, but I think that that's where a lot of the damage got done. We have kids killing themselves here. So in some instances, I think for a parent that's really dealing with a a situation where their kid's being chronically bullied, I don't care how tough it is. You figure out how to get them out of there because you're talking about their lives.
1: And – it tends to be something that I'm actually recommending more and more. Uh, We have a, there's a, you know, pretty much every community has an alternative ed. And, and, you know, when I was in school, it's where all the druggies and the smokers went and stuff like that. Actually, now that you look at it and I look at it, it's probably the safest place to put any kid because you're generally accepted there. It's, it's not really a forced society. The kids are choosing to be there because there are other choices to, you know, drop out and not get a, not get a, a diploma. and, Every kid I talk to that comes from there talks about how much the teachers help them and all of that. So, I mean, there are options for, in particular in high school, but then they go and the government makes arbitrary type of decisions like, you can't take the GED until you're above a certain age. Well, I know quite a few kids that could pass a GED at 15 and get on with their life and start working a job or, or something. Truthfully, Not, I think I could have done it at 14. Well, and there's probably – I mean, it doesn't take Doogie Howser to do it either. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. – you know, I mean, it's a basic educational assessment, but we don't want – we don't want to take them out of school, right? So we got to put an arbitrary age on it to keep them in the school until age 17, I think, or, and so we can still get the money for them and then they can leave. Well, that's why this homeschool thing is, and more people are doing it, is probably got them, everybody all scared because you, you, what you have is, is you have these parents who are invested in their children's experiences, both emotionally, educationally, and psychologically, working together, creating In, you know, environments where they're going out and helping people in the community while learning about this and that. And, you know, so and so is going to teach everybody how basic piano lessons. So we have that experience. And it is, you know, especially from my, my experience, it is a far better way to do this than keeping your kids in there to get a diploma because that's what they have to have. And well, that's what we're told. So removing them from that situation is oftentimes the best thing. And you know, sometimes sometimes parents will move them to different schools, and that can be helpful. Uh, but in this day and age, they the bullies at that school start sending messages to the bullies at the other school they know about, get them all the ammunition, and then the kids yeah. facing the same stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's almost a stigma too, like, well, why'd you leave your last school, right? Like something yeah. must be wrong with you. And if you, if it's done specifically mid year. You've taken a child who's probably socially awkward, even if they wouldn't have normally been so, because they've come to expect that they're going to be picked on, and you're putting them into a very difficult situation of walking into a new school where all of the hierarchy is, is firmly in place. There hasn't even been a summer break in between.
1: Right. Yeah, and there's, mean, there, coming in in the middle of a school year is so difficult. I mean, I, it's not something I ever experienced. I, I was you know same school my my entire childhood but you have these people come in and uh, I talked to a guy last yesterday who counted you know 12 schools in 12 years you know because he was his father was in the military he says he goes I don't have a problem meeting with anybody I don't have a problem making a friend anywhere well it's a survival skill he learned it he had to yeah. you know yeah, I
0: mean I had to deal with it a couple times from moves and I was a kind of person that was kind of able to fit in but even with that, coming into a situation, just lunch. <clears throat> I remember being, being moved in the middle of seventh grade. Every table's already staked out. You gotta go find somebody to eat lunch with. Mm-hmm. And if you're not the kind of person to go, hey, what's your name? Can I eat here with you? Then, and a lot of kids can't. Then right. it's different, just that alone. And then, okay, so bullies target kids. So the kid finds one place that he can sit where nobody's at, and then, Sticks out like a sore thumb to whoever's the jackass in that environment, and then all of a sudden that problem's now repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Where if you go into a homeschool co-op, that that's not happening because the whole thing's run by parents.
1: Yeah, I mean, we you know because we we did start off with some sort of initial kind of structured uh, public quote unquote education when we came in. You know, you go into these co-ops, they're like, hey, how's it going? You know, it's inviting. You know, they don't let you stand out. They don't let you hide. They don't let you stay in the corner. They bring you in because that's what's best for everybody. You know, if we can all be on the same page and all work together and work as a system, this is the only way it's going to work. And so, you know, you see this effort from individuals to do that. And um, so it, it, it kind of reduces the fear of doing something new uh, pretty quickly because all of a sudden you feel like you're, you're, uh, you're welcome. So
0: cool. Um, I mean, the, see, I, I mean, I mean to cancel this cause on one, I, my, but my recommendation for a lot of reasons has been get your kids out of public education. But I mean, my son and his, his daughter, my son and his, my son and, and my daughter-in-law are about to put, you know, their kid into public ed. And I can understand why they can't afford to do anything else right now. Um, I know that it would be, uh, from her side of the family, like a, a catastrophic nightmare if I said, Hey, let us do it. Um, so I know we can't do that. So at some point or another, I have to acknowledge there's going to be kids in these institutions. And, and, you know, I've looked at a lot of these things with celebrities because they want to look cool and stop bullying and, and, you know, nonsense. that doesn't really seem to do anything. I go, can anything actually be done at like a program level? To reduce the incidence of this, and and what I keep coming back to is, is akin to vigilantism, is, you know, you mentioned like the jocks, right? There are certain groups of kids in schools that the rules don't generally apply to quite the same way, and even if they're not bullies, nobody bothers them, they're respected, and to me, it, it's, if those groups of kids could be targeted to the point where they actually are taught, you don't let this shit happen when you see it That they're the most capable of policing it because they don't necessarily have to do it with physicality right if the mm-hmm. captain of the football team tells somebody hey you need to lay off that guy generally it happens yep. and the reason a lot of these kids bully is it makes them cool to their ser- the people around them like their contemporaries. And I, I, to me, I like the only, and I don't know how to do it. It'd be great if we had a wand, and I was, you know, able to just wave a wand and make it happen. Is to make bullying not cool, right? Because the reason it's done is because it has benefits. It's not just a power ego thing. There's actually, you know, there's almost always when there's a kid being picked on, there's a lot of people cheering on the one doing the picking, right? And if you can actually swing that dynamic to where, like everybody just look like like more like college, like you were saying, where everybody's like, what the hell are you doing? It has to have an effect for the positive.
1: And to some degree, this whole peer support and getting getting the support from your peers as a bully, it does keep it going. But in terms of why bullying starts, I've actually found that it's way more internal than it is external and social. I mean, whenever I have a – if I have like a 10- or 11-year-old and the, the the parents bring them in because their son is bullying, we have a question – on our, is, is the bully, right? Not being bullied, yeah, but right. is the bully, is the perpetrator. We have a form and I always, if I hear that, I always go to one specific spot on our assessment form with all the why are you here today type of thing where they answer questions and look for one thing and it's pretty crazy. Most of the time it's true. Is there a bedwetting problem? And what you end up finding out is that it ends up a lot of bullies are doing this because they want to control, they want to manage a situation and feel like they have power because somewhere they feel like they don't. And with little kids, with 10 and 11-year-olds, if you're walking around with this gigantic fear that people are going to find out that you wet the bed and that you're having problems with that, the only way to really offset that is to go the exact other way and act incredibly more masculine so that no one would even mess or figure that out. And... I'm not saying it happens every time. I'm not saying that I've seen that all the time, but it's statistically significant for sure. There's something going on there. But the other one that offsets that too is it's it, it's the parents. It is such a chaotic home that they leave and try to find their form of structure by creating it themselves with this whole managing, you know, creating chaos in other people. You know, this, you know, my dad did it to me and I'm going to do it to them, etc. So and then what happens is is they get a certain amount of social approval by doing that by this group of people who like them, and then that continues on. So it ends up being this kind of joint venture, and that ends up perpetuating it. So, but this is, I mean, neither one, because that's what happens, is they'll say, okay, we'll break up the whole society of bullies. Well, it doesn't stop somebody who internally is still trying to find their place or is hiding from something. And, um, you yeah, know, there, there's so many factors.
0: You look at it like the bully is the is is not a victim of themselves and often what you're saying is they are it's just yeah. their their victimhood it takes place somewhere out, outside of uh of of the school or the place that they're being the bully there's some other place where they feel vulnerable attacked picked on or what have you
1: right there's a there's a everything's broken down into categories but there's kind of viewed that there's four different types of parenting there's this authoritative parenting which is, you know, more like the dictatorship type of parenting. And then you have this kind of neglectful, not around parenting. You have the permissiveness parenting, which kind of goes back to the previous thing we talked about, where the parents just let their kids do whatever they want. And then there's the authoritarian, which is our ideal type of parenting. Well, bullying comes from when you have the dictator parent, right? We do know that if you have a dictator type of parent, the dad who rules with the iron fist and all that that oftentimes those kids will go and do the same thing with kids in the school. But it also happens from those parents that just let their kids do whatever because they have a sense of entitlement that they can do whatever they want and they just go and and, and treat others with this ill will. They have no empathy because they they haven't taught how to care. And who do they target? They target the kids who are the products of neglectful parents and the parents who aren't there and ultimately what we need is we need the people that are coming from the authoritarian type of parents with empathy, structure, consequences, you know, the caring, loving, and structure type of people. You know, those are the people who could potentially be the vigilantes because no one messes with them because, you know, they're, they're generally in a good spot. So, you know, it's I mean, in some ways we, we talk about bullying and how do we help these people? How do we help the victims? But really, to stop bullying, it's not about helping the victims. It's helping the bullies. It's figuring out how and why this is happening, and helping them figure out there's another way right before they fall down the rabbit hole of being a bully their entire life. But you know, most of the time we focus on the victims and helping them one at a time instead of the bully who actually is bullying a variety of number of people. So
0: that's a good point. Because let's say that I do. Let's say I, I'm, I'm the kid in school that I was that you, you don't pick on people. You just don't. And I, I see you pick on Tim. So I go over and I basically push you up against the locker and say, hey, I see you mess with this kid again. I'm going to drive you into this locker. You say, you know what, this guy's freaking serious and he'll do it. So what do you do? Do you not pick on anybody anymore? You watch out for me and you don't mess with Tim. You go find somebody else that you can get away with picking on because all I've done is shut you down in one location. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's, so that problem's still there. Your aggression's just been redirected. And what happens when the reason I was able to do that is I was a senior and you were a sophomore and I graduate next year and now Tim's left without me to have his back. Now you come right back at him. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, like, we do have to deal with that person, you know, I, and, and it's natural to feel anger when you see someone behave that way and want to take the aggression out on them. But there's something wrong there that a person does this. Because let's be clear, you and I here to the audience, right? We're not talking about the general shit that people give each other all the time, right? Right. If you Mm -hmm. ever get to come here, Trevor, to a TSP event, there'll be a bunch of guys sitting around a campfire at night, and there'll be some like good-natured ribbing that gets thrown back and forth at each other nonstop. That's normal behavior, especially for males. Mm -hmm. We're Mm -hmm. talking about chronic, where the kid just sits at night thinking, I just don't want to go to school tomorrow, where kids pretend to be sick so they don't have to go to school for one day of a piece from this stuff. We're talking about kids that never quit, and is it just me or is are I'm going to use the word some people are going to like when I use it in relate, relation to females here? But are 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 some of these mean teenage girls just psycho bitches anymore? Where it almost seems like girls are bigger offenders than boys,
1: especially with like the psychological
0: bullying.
1: You know bullying goes in in both genders obviously and a lot of times when we even today as we're sitting here talking about this I, I wouldn't be surprised if everybody until right now visualized these people we're talking about as males yeah but the because we've used kind of more stereotypical male comments of you know pushing against the locker and things like that yeah you know but Everybody can be a bully. Everybody there's you know, these individuals that have issues and and want to have and manage cont- and manage people and have control. They, they're of both genders. And so it just so happens that on average females tend to go about it in different ways, okay? It tends to be uh, you know everybody gets after it. Well, that's very stereotypical. Yeah, but it's because it's true. I'm not saying that it happens a 100% of the time,
0: but it's the it's the norm. It's the it's the median average,
1: right? I mean, everybody says that you know males will get in a fist fight and then go afterwards and go have a beer, and then women will hate each other forever but act super nice to them and face to face and then backstab them when they leave. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is that is a stereotype, very much so, and it's true. I mean, it, it is how it goes. And so what you see is is often when you're using this more indirect. Uh, generally speaking the genders have differences when it comes to direct versus indirect right um, men are the perpetrators more of direct types of bullying right so so you got these boys who are being more physical you got you know et cetera, in a school generally women are more indirect passive right so they're the ones using the technology more it seems they're the ones that are literally taking a person's um, social status and cutting it out with names that are just horrendous to these people now I could sit here and say, it's just a name. you know. It's, it's actually just four letters or five letters. But to these people, it cuts to the core, and then you have a reputation. Right.
0: When you're a 15-year-old girl and there was a boy you liked that sort of liked you back and, and, and then some group of girls uh, insulted you to the point where you were so humiliated and, and, and the guy actually thought, well, there must be something wrong with her, and now he's not interested in you anymore. You, you, and you're going to say, you know what, honey, it wouldn't have mattered that crush you have in high school is a 9,000% chance that you wouldn't even have dated for more than a month. And you're going to graduate
1: this place and it's not going to matter. And all that's true. And it doesn't matter to her. Right. Cause, cause she's in the moment and that's what's happening right now. And it's the end of the world for her. And, you know, and that's my job, you know, when we're in an office to sit with her and say, you know, I, you know, I understand I, I, it, let's, let's just take this day by day and get through it. But, if through that process you have this group of individuals that are still cutting you down and calling you names that are creating a reputation that you can't escape because it's a reputation and now you're a sophomore and that reputation even if those girls were seniors and they graduate it'll still follow you you are m- so trapped for the next 3 years because that reputation will not leave you by and that's that's essentially one of the problems about these trap situ- trap, trap societies and being forced to go there is you cannot escape until that arbitrary day of 12 at the end of 12th grade, when you get to actually be yourself. Because prior to that, um, you're somebody who you might have a nickname that was given to you at, in third grade, when somebody caught you picking your nose, and you've been booger for for <laughs> nine years. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah, yeah. You know, I haven't seen you know we haven't seen that guy pick his nose in nine years. It doesn't matter because he did when he, we were in third grade.
0: And, and everybody picked their nose in third grade. He was just the one that got caught.
1: Yeah, yeah, and usually the person that started it was the biggest nose picker because they deflected, right? They deflected the attention onto that person and were secretly, you know, digging for gold behind the doors, you know, whenever they could. So, I mean, it's, uh, (laughs) I mean, it it ends up being, there's two things we're talking about here. I mean, we're talking about bullying and we're talking about schools. And the fact of the matter is schools are uh, a, a superb environment for bullying to happen. Because you just don't tend to see it in non-institutionalized type of settings as much, and so what is the problem? Is it the schools? Is it the bullying? How do we, it? It ends up being all and everything, you know. So, but you know, in my in my world, you know, and what, what I do, we work on it on an individual basis. Um, you know, no schools have come up to me and said, "Do let's work on a bullying program. Let's try to do something proactive in these schools." But if they did. I know what I would do and it would about making people care for people. You know, I mean a bully cannot be a bully outside of that small percentage of sociopaths, right? So we got to, I mean because they they're just they're out of the norm anyway, so we got to take them out. But every other general person cannot really be mean to somebody if they view them as a person. If they, are in, if they have even the least amount of empathy, and so working with people to actually just care about one another, to do good things, to realize that everybody has value is one of the best ways to do it. But how do you do that? You know, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a little bit bigger. I mean, that's a it's a society type thing. That's a whole school type of thing. You know, And most people aren't going to put money into things like that in order to try to, to offset that problem.
0: Gotcha. So, I mean, just for parents that are sitting here going, this is my kid. My kid's the one being bullied. What do we do as parents when we know that our kid is being bullied? What, what can we do? Especially if removing them from the school is not an option.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and that I think because of how impactful this can be, parents should explore every option. Well, I don't want to give it. I don't want to move schools because that's just going to teach the wrong lesson to my child. Oh, really? And keeping them there to be um, ridiculed and victimized for three more years is really the best way to go about it. You know, like so everything could be. I mean, you can here in Michigan, we have school of choice, which means that you know I might live in this school district, but I can go over there. I have the opportunity if they have a space. And I've seen parents do that with certain amounts of success, and but sometimes not success either. And then obviously, you know, removing from school and going to homeschool. But if none of that's an option, ultimately what what parents can do is work with their kids in order to try to develop some sort of sense of self, some level of confidence, some ability to know that I don't have to let this happen to me. Because if all the markers initially for – so if bullies are looking for A, B, and C, right, sitting alone, heads down. I'm bigger than him. Okay, now I'm going to go bully that person. Well, you're not going to really change the physical aspect, but you can have them develop certain friendships and or act more confident. What's the best way to do that? It's generally not by talking to them. You know, that's where a professional comes in. And finding a good supportive type of therapist relationship is and can be what's best. Sometimes it's having them go off to work with grandpa for the summer you know, grandpas are great for teaching you confidence because they don't put up with a bunch of stuff, you know. So you're yeah. bailing hay all summer. And, I mean, I've seen some kids go, you know, they send them down to the grandpa in Tennessee, he comes back, he's got a little muscle on him because he's tanning, he's, you know, and he, he might be cussing a little bit because he was good with grandpa all summer. But at the same time, there's a swagger, right? Yeah. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's You know, and, and generally, they'll be left alone. It's... It's just letting them know that you're, most of the time, letting them know that you're there for them and, and doing whatever is possible. Most kids will be okay as long as they're feeling understood and that they feel like somebody cares for them rather than, oh, you just got to tough it out. You know what? Just ignore it. I mean, you start talking like that as a parent, and you're basically saying, I don't care. Because well, you're crazy.
0: also saying to the kid, if, if, they're, if they're switched on mentally at all, I don't understand your problem at all. Mm-hmm. And I am making light of your problem. I'm assuming your problem is smaller than it is. And that's gonna damage your relationship with your child. It's gonna damage your ability to to parent. In mm-hmm. not in that see, that's what people don't get. When you damage your relationship with a child as a parent, you don't just damage it in the one segmented niche. Because the mature mind looks that way. Like if you and I have a problem with each other, but it's only with politics, what do we do? We don't talk about politics. Mm-hmm. And then we get along everywhere else. Child, a child doesn't have that mental maturity yet that to, to be able to compartmentalize. And if you damage that relationship, there you damage the relationship in its entirety.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes am just shocked by how much people don't understand the importance of parenting. They don't understand that it is a cure all or a virus, and mm. it's only one of those two really. Like because if you are If you send the wrong message at one time, it infiltrates all other parts of their psyche, right? So if you said, man, you're just not good at baseball and that hit the kid the wrong way, they don't think they're good at anything, right? It's a virus. It spreads Mm -hmm. versus the only way to do that is to show, but you're awesome at this. Let's go do more of this. And, you know, that's parenting. It's the ups and downs. But, you know, this whole idea of, you know, probably the best thing any parent can do is teaching them how to lean into it. You know, teaching them, I understand you're afraid of this person. That's okay. I got your back. Most of the time, just knowing that your parents got your back in some way, shape, or form. You know, it's like, I don't got, I mean, if you're going to go punch the kid in the face, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's what you should do, but if you do, I'll got your back. If
0: it ever Mm -hmm. happens, if you ever end up pushed far enough and you have to stand up for yourself, no matter what happens, I got your back. That's a huge thing. I think another thing that can work if it's done right, but it has to be done very diplomatically is reaching out to the bully's parents. If it's, hey, if your kid messes with my kid again, I'm going to come over there and kick your ass. That's probably not going to be helpful. If it's your kid's 100% of the problem, I think that's not going to be helpful. And I think you have to actually kind of, so if I'm going to be a diplomat, I'm going to understand my, my other side as a, as a, as a nation before I try to have a discussion with them. And I might decide this nation cannot have diplomacy. We, we're this they're not ready for diplomacy yet so if if I look out over the horizon and my my kids bullies parents are a a, a streetwalker and a drunk that are never home, I'm not reaching out to them at all in this situation. But if they're generally logical rational people, then I might reach out and say something like you know Billy and Tom are having some issues with each other and I was wondering if we could talk about it over a beer at the bar or something or mm-hmm. maybe come over and have dinner with you and if we can kind of straighten this out so that when they and then like be very clear I don't want you to discipline your kid over this I want you to figure out what's wrong so that they can apply discipline themselves because if you if you call up Billy's dad and Billy's dad is a disciplinarian and he grabs Billy and swats him six times on the ass and says you leave that kid alone you can bet sooner or later that problem's going to get worse mm-hmm. and if it doesn't get worse for your kid it's going to get worse for somebody's kid so, so what are your thoughts on how you would reach out to a parent of a bully? And do you ever, like when you have someone come to you and they bring their kid and their kid's being bullied, do you ever recommend that?
1: You know, I have not had a whole lot of experiences with that, mostly because kids keep their bullying to themselves. And, and, and that's where it starts off. It's like you've got to let your parents in on it. And I have heard of a few situations where the parents have gotten involved. And, you know, I, I know we've kind of said it a, a little earlier that there's a very good chance that the bullies are being abused and stuff. Yeah, there's a good chance of it. But I think, like you said, I would say the vast majority of the parents of bullies are good, rational people who would like to resolve a situation. They might not have the best skills, but they would like to resolve it. And so this whole reaching out and saying, hey, I'm not saying that I totally believe my son per se, but I've seen enough stuff here that suggests that we need to have a chat. He's saying your son is doing X, Y, and Z, and I just think we need to have a chat, you know, and try to have that adult conversation and use, you know, our myriad of skills that we've learned over the past 30-some years. If if he instantly comes back with a bunch of expletives, you're like, all right, not going to work, right? But, yeah, let's, let's work this out. And then generally speaking, what you might find out is, is, you're helping that parent realize that their son or daughter had, yeah, so, yeah, that they got they got things going on. So I don't know. It's whatever you can do, you know, in terms of reaching out, I think reaching out is a great thing. That's leaning into it, right?
0: Yeah. Well, what about the parent that figures out, hey, my kid's the, the, the bully? How do they deal with their kid? Because, again, I think just saying, you know, if you mess with that kid again, you're going to be in so much trouble. I don't think that generally works because, you know, you mentioned that a lot of times the kid that's a bully is abused, but that doesn't mean their parents are the ones committing the abuse. It, you, you might have the biggest bully in the school. That's where it came from, and that's why they're so tough because they. if, if you grow up from the time you're 8 years old bullied by a parent and you make it, you're probably going to be pretty tough by the time you're 16. right? So that could be a bully or or two in the school, but then they create this whole bullying cycle. So a lot of times the bully... Is some mid-level bully, right? He's the he's the, the middle manager, right? He gets picked on all the time. So the only way he looks cool in front of his other bully friends that mm-hmm. aren't really his friends that are his actual bullies is to find someone he can pick on. So a lot of times that kid is as much in a problem as is somebody else. So you know, how does a parent you know find out what's going on? How do they you know what do they do?
1: I think it, you know, I kind of alluded back to like a like a like a school program, but I would say you have to see, you have to show them what happens to people that are bullied. You know, you have to show in 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 a variety of different settings, whether they are people that are bullied by their governments. You know, so you show some signs from from Africa or, or things of that nature, where or, or maybe even talk about how bullying was the some of the premise behind Nazi Germany. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's a lot of other aspects to it, but it's that how something small that you think is small, like bullying is actually a systemic problem and develop this empathy, you know, caring for individuals that this whole idea that if you want to be cared for, if you want people to care for you, you got to care for them. And that's what, I mean, it's, it's looking at it. It's having them open their eyes to what they're doing, because most of the time when someone sees what they're actually doing, the guilt is often enough to get it to stop. But sometimes they're justifying it or they're not really looking at it or choosing not to see it. So if they you know, if they feel the guilt and, and there's somebody there with them to to help them process that in a supportive way, but also in a redirective way of what you can do to make it better, that's you know, that's that's one way to do it. I mean, a lot of times it's finding another way. It's finding another way to express whatever is is kind of getting the guilt, uh, is getting the bullying to happen. I mean, what we're talking about right now is if a parent is that into helping their child not be a bully, you can essentially rule them out as the problem for it. And then it's also getting them involved in figuring out what's going on to help perpetuate the bullying with them. Are they being abused in some way, etc.? Yeah, or is it just impulsive? So, you know, so is the it taking right. Taken to see a therapist? Is it, you know, I. Or is it just a school thing? And and actually, we're talking about removing the victims of bullying. At some point, you might need to look at your child and say, if I'm going to save this child from being a bully their entire life, I need to take him out of that and put him in a new situation. You know, the peer group is just too addictive, you know.
0: Well, man, I really appreciate you being with us here today. It's a lot to think about. And I think it's one of those problems that we could acknowledge and there's things we can do about it, but we can't just fix this problem, um, especially in the current system. So, I, I, I think you maybe probably have helped a lot of people today figure out, like, why this occurs, and that's the first step to figure out how to address it. But I think we're both in agreement. If, if In a perfect world, you you don't put your kid into what you call a forced society, and you you create a voluntary association, and a lot of those problems would be mitigated to a huge degree.
1: Yeah, and if you have that opportunity, or if you don't think you do, then really challenge yourself to think outside that box and figure out, You know, I mean, well, I don't have the time to be a parent, uh, to be a homeschool uh, parent. You know, most people don't realize that it really only takes two hours a day to do it, if even that. I mean, we don't spend a whole heck of a lot of time with our kids. They're up to date on pretty much everything. They might actually homeschool for an hour and a half a day. And the rest of the time, they're being kids and learning in totally different ways. And, you know, my six-year-old son just recited every single state today. You know, I mean, all 50 of them, like, you know, it's just they do things on their own because they want to. And it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot of time, nor do you have to be the world's best teacher. You just have to care and you just have to provide them the opportunities. And that's the secret to homeschooling. But sometimes you don't have those options. And if you don't, that you try to figure out the best way that you can. I mean, these, you know, preventing bullying in schools programs, they're not going to, bullying is always going to exist because there's always societies and there's always going to be structures. You know, we need to look at, who is a bully and help them and the people that are being victimized work on helping them because you're never going to eradicate bullying. It's just, it's not going to happen. But if you do see bullying, it's more of a systemic problem, right? If you see bullying in chickens, get a bigger coop or yep. fewer chickens or eliminate the bully
0: <laughs> or or you do yeah. that. The chicken, right? You know? Yeah. Freezer camp, right? Yeah. Um, a, a, a final thought here. Like, is it just me, or is bullying actually getting worse today? I mean, we talked about the technological thing and access and all, but it seems to me like the, it's always been here, but it seems worse. It seems more vicious today. Do you agree? And if so, why do you think that is?
1: You know, if it is, okay. If we just go forward with a thought, with the thought that okay, maybe it actually is. If it is, then it's going to go back to the. It's going to go to the fact. That we are so far from our roots, and we are so far from actually parenting with a purpose, that that is the problem. And I kind of alluded to the authoritarian versus the permissive style, and and there is so much permissive parenting. You know, eight-year-olds with smartphones and in giving them access they should never have, and 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 stuff like, and creating these little entitled individuals who walk around like princes and princesses in some sort of kingdom. I mean. If there is, if bullying is getting worse, it's, it's going to go to that. It's, it's, it's the fact that people are not taking their job as parents as seriously as they used to. And society is not holding people to that regard. I mean, you talk a lot about your time in Pennsylvania as well as other places and even up where I was raised. Like, if you were not doing a good job as a parent, you were hearing it from your neighbors and you were held to a regard. You needed, you need, Nobody's doing that now, you know. I mean, everybody's in their own little world trying to do the best that they can, and, and there's no, people aren't being held accountable. And, you know, the most important job in this world, if you choose to have a child, is to parent and to do so with the best of your ability and try to do it in a proactive way to create good individuals. And um, so if bullying is worse today, if, if, if we work on that thought, um, I would I would view it's it's a problem with the parenting more than anything. I would agree,
0: and I think it's the root of a lot of it. I I don't think it's at the root of all of it because, it, like you said, it's always been here. But mm-hmm. I I personally, from what I see, think it's worse, and I think that there's a lot of that. And I know it from from you know people think I beat on teachers, but what I really beat is on the system that they're in. And I know enough teachers and talk to enough teachers that in young children, I'm talking second grade, first grade kids, where the kids are a problem. And the teachers try to reach out to the parents, and the parents just don't give a shit. They no. just don't care, or they defend the child at all costs. One or the other, but more often than not, they don't care. They set up a parent-teacher conference, and they just don't even show up
1: because mm-hmm. it's the school's problem.
0: Yes, yeah, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, they just don't care. And I think so. I think there's something to that. Final thoughts? You got any uh, like a website or anything anybody
1: might want to check out? Um, you know, we we have our own little site, you know, for for what we do on our spot, you know, Dandelion Hills. Dot com. That's just, you know, our little blog, what we do, keep people in our little area. But other than that, you know, I think there's there's a lot of information out there on how to be a better parent. And some of it's good and some of it's not. And, and you know maybe at some point I need to put some stuff together and um you know throw around some ideas on really helping people that really want to want to be better parents to make a difference on on how to do that. Because it's not hard from a knowing what to do standpoint. It's just consistency and being able to stick to it for a really long time and, and keep the messages the same. I mean, it's you have to provide structure for your kids. You have to provide consequences for their actions, good and bad. they do something awesome, consequence it with great stuff. If they do something poor, you know, they're not bad kids. If they make a poor decision, you have to consequence it appropriately because our world is set up in that way. If you don't provide your children any... Level of consequence for their actions, then you are ill preparing them for the world that is full of laws and rules and regulations. And while we can disagree, or we can we can sit here and talk that there may need to be less of that in general. The fact of the matter is, it still exists, so we do need to prepare them for that in some way. Um, so letting them do whatever they want, whenever they want to do it, is uh, it's a recipe for disaster. So, you know, anything along those lines. You know, I mean, talk to your local professional to get more information. Do some research on yourself. Contact me. I'll, I'll provide some ideas if I can. But um, actually, try. You know, we, you know, you, you talk about get shit done, right? Yeah. If you go buy some apple juice and throw some yeast in it and see what happens. You know, go buy a couple quail and see what happens. I mean, read something on parenting and see what happens. That's, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's probably the best piece of advice I could give. And if your kid's being bullied, read something. Teach them, read something on confidence, how to build confidence and see what happens. You know, doing something is the secret.
0: My, my, my final thought, I think, on this is be your kid's friends, right? I think a lot of people take this, you know, you're not there to be your kid's friends, you're there to be their parent. I think you can be both because, because my view was always, the way that I kept my son in line was I wanted him to feel like if he did something he knew he shouldn't do, he was letting his friend down.
1: Uh-huh. You know,
0: that I was his, his, his first, the closest, and best friend that I would always have his back, and I I remember even telling him one time, someday someone's going to come to me and say you did something that you probably didn't do, and you're going to need me to have your back, and you're going to need to always be honest with me so that when I look at you and I ask you and tell me you weren't involved, I still have your back there because I believe you. And funny enough, it happened. It happened in like a way I would have never expected. I had cops show up and accuse my son of breaking into somebody's house. Uh, hmm. When he was 16 years old. And they then went to his work and interrogated him in a parking lot without my knowledge. And I, I I was ready to sue the Arlington Police Department. He had nothing to do with it. And he ended up being cleared on it. But he was just blown away that it had happened exactly the way that I said it would. That you would need me to believe you. So you need to always be honest with me. And and we had a, a relationship that was parent and, and and child. But we also had a relationship that was... A friendship relationship. I think if if you've so divorced yourself from your children that you can't be their friends, right, that you have a real hard time parenting. And, and I kind of look at it this way, you know, well, you need to be disciplinary, you need to do, do – sure. And if I have my best friend and I think he's become an alcoholic, I'll tell him. And I'll say, mm-hmm. you need to get into rehab. It's not like I can't be tough with my friends. I, that, that's, I think that's what makes me a good friend. And it's not like I won't pull rank if I have some with a friend if I think I'm going to help them. And I think we've gotten so convoluted that we have parents either with that authoritarian thing, like I can't be their friend, or all they're worried about is being their friend. And both of those end up the same place, and it ain't good.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's two opposite sides, right? And so people reside on those two poles, and, and when really it's a mixture of both, and at any given time, you need – if, if the number is always 10, you need three of one and seven of the other, or nine of one and one of the other, but it's always a mixture of both. It's never all or none. And reading the situations to see what that child needs at that time, it's like, you know what, they got the message. I don't need to give them a lecture right now. Let's hug it out. Let's go for a walk, and let's just get our mind off it because the lesson's been learned. But okay. it, it, you know, if you go into the 10-hour lecture – <laughs> well, yeah.
0: Get it done, get it over with, and move on, right? As l- mm-hmm. in- unless it becomes a recurrent problem, yeah, because they take it all in in a few minutes. And then I'll tell you what. When I was in sales, I used to teach people, if you're talking to somebody and the guy wears glasses, he takes his glasses off, sets them on a desk, you have talked too long. Mm-hmm. Kids get there quick. <laughs> Right? So you you hold their attention, you get it done, and you, and you move on with it. And that that doesn't mean that there's not a consequence. So like the consequence is you're grounded or you're losing a privilege or whatever. But okay, then it's done. Okay, so then that's gone. That privilege is gone for a week or whatever it is. Well, there's no reason to compete continue to beat up on the situation. You've enacted the punishment. My my favorite thing about technology is whenever I had a problem, I just changed the password on the wireless router.
1: Yeah, was the, or I just needed something done. Right. I told like, I told a parent that the other day. He's like, well, I can't take their phone away because their dad bought them the phone. He's like, you own the wireless. You own the router. Go yeah. unplug that and put it under your pillow. Yeah, I never thought about the password, that. changed password, man. I mean, yeah. like I changed the password one
0: time, and my son came to me, and I said, oh, I see. You want to use my wireless router. You don't have a wireless router. You have a dog that needs a bath, and I have a wireless router. That wireless router has a password. It will be delivered to you when I have a clean dog in my house.
1: And you have, and in that situation, you set up a real-world example. You don't get stuff for free. Nope. You know, I mean, if you want a paycheck, do your work. You know, what is the work of children? You go to school, you get yourself educated, you do the chores that are assigned by your parents. After that, you get your paycheck, which is going to be privileges and TV or what have you. You choose not to do that. That's fine. You don't get a paycheck. I mean, that's like the simplest way to set it up, and you're so preparing your kids for the real world by doing that because they will understand that in our world whether we like it or not you have to do a in order to get b and so many kids are just getting a getting a getting a getting a, getting a. and there's no no expectation to have to feedback. actually yeah there's there's no way you don't i don't have to do b i'm yeah. special i just get a
0: yeah because you know, sooner or later you're going to go out on your own and you're going to have to do a to get b and, and, and no one's going to give a damn that you're special. I mean, that's – so we're going off on a different topic there. But <laughs> I think we've reached kind of an impasse
1: here. Hey, Trevor, man, thank you for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me back. And, uh, you know, I hope uh, everybody just goes out there, if you are a parent, take it seriously. You know, just what can you do today? I mean, nobody's a perfect parent. Nobody is. But what can you do, do today to be a better parent? And then tomorrow, wake up with the same mantra, what can I do today to be a better parent It's just, that's getting shit done, leaning forward, leaning into it.
0: And remember, your job is to work yourself out of a job. That's a successful parent. Yep, absolutely. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spearco today, along with Trevor Grice, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
1: Step one, you say we need to talk. He walks, you say sit down, it's just talk. He smiles politely back at you. You stare politely right on through Some sort of window to your right And she goes